0: Turn with me, if you will, to James chapter 5. James chapter 5, look at verses 7 to 11 today. James chapter 5. As I have the privilege... Uh, talking with very various ones of you about the things that you face, the things which threaten to tear you apart, I have this recurring frustration, the hard, cold reality that there's not one thing I can do to change it. There are so many times when the only advice that I can give is on how to cope with things that may never change. Even as I give that kind of advice, I recognize that it sounds like little comfort to you who are in the midst of trouble. And yet that advice is right, and as painful as it may be, I must continue to give that kind of advice, and as much as it may seem like it's powerless, I'm convinced it is not powerless and it is not defeatist because of the truth of this text so i dedicate this sermon to you to all whom i have had to whom i have had to say so many times hang in there this morning i intend to say it again let's read the text verse 7 be patient then brothers until the lord's coming See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door Brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. And you've heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. There are actually two points woven together here with this text and, the, and the, the passage we'll take next week on into verse 12. We're going to take just the first verse today, which omits verse 9 and doesn't pick up verse 12 yet. We'll come back to that next week. So really just one point today, except that there are 3 subpoints for those of you who have, must have three points in the sermon. We have them here. <coughs> The one point this that you'll hear again and again throughout this sermon is this be patient. Jesus is coming. Be patient. Jesus is coming. In case you haven't noticed, we don't live in a patient world. If you drive much, I'm sure you've noticed that. I drove to Seattle again recently. We do not live in a patient world. But it's not just traffic that shows our impatience, it's everywhere. People in business struggle with the, the, the need for long-term quality performance because everybody wants success now. Everyone wants results now. People who are trying to change the social institutions of society uh, get frustrated with the way that things drag on forever. For Everyone wants change now. We want to rearrange the institutions of society today. Even as individuals, as we struggle with our personal lives, with our own little problems, we have no patience. When things aren't like we want them, we want the problem solved today. We want solutions now. Things aren't right, we want to sue someone. We we want to have justice. We want to be vindicated immediately. No, patience is just not the way we live in our society. We're geared to success. We're geared to change. We're geared to solutions to the attainment of the goals that we have set and the attainment of those goals on our timetable. So no wonder it sounds so impotent to hear someone say, Be patient. Hang in there. It sounds so out of step. But that's what God says to us in this text. And here he gives us the reason. The underlying rationale which enables us to have such an attitude of patience and endurance. Be patient, for Jesus is coming. Be patient, for Jesus is coming. Do you see it there? In verse 7, it says it in exactly those words. Be patient, brothers, until the Lord's coming. Oh, if you just thought that your Christianity was getting manageable, finally, if you thought that you were finally able to explain what you believe to other people without sounding like some fanatic from another world, some wild-eyed radical, well, I hate to tell you, but here we go again. There is no way to make this teaching fit with the thinking of our day. It is just a radical truth that this Jesus who once lived and walked on the face of the earth and died on a cross, not only came back to life again, and not only 40 days later ascended into heaven where he was given all authority and all power and all dominion over everything in the universe, where he still today is alive and ruling, but this Jesus... Is still going to come again. The same Jesus who walked the earth, the same Jesus who died, the same Jesus who rose, the same Jesus who is ascended, the same Jesus who holds the reins today will come again. Now there's no way to get around that. This is not just some psychological expression of transcendent religious feelings. No, this is a statement concerning history and concerning events of the future, Jesus is coming again. But this is the claim of all the apostles, of Jesus himself. Luke records in Acts 11 that when the disciples saw Jesus ascend into heaven, they were greeted by messengers who said to them, this same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Jesus himself said it. I am going to prepare a place for you, and if I go, I will come again. The apostle Paul wrote, the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise. The apostle Peter warns that scoffers will come, saying, where is this coming that he promised? Everything just goes on as it has from the beginning. But he continues, don't forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. The day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Make no mistake, Jesus is coming again. That's part of the definition of Christianity. We, we say it in the Apostles' Creed. The third day he rose again from the dead, he ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. Or well, I make a point of it here right at the beginning because it's such a radical truth that I, and I, I sense that we try to slip over it and calm it down and we don't think about the phenomenal truth implications of this truth. Things that put us out of step with cultures around us. Because we believe that Jesus really is coming back. But it won't go away. Either history just drones on from day to day with the end to be determined by how well we solve the problems of planet Earth. Or, Jesus Christ is in control, is working his plan, and will return when history has accomplished his stated purposes, and then will come Judgment Day. Now there's no synthesis of those two ideas. If Jesus is coming again, that means he is alive, that means he is in control, that means history is moving towards some goal, that means that he is the one who is ordering events, and he is the one who will co- come to give it a, to ha- receive an accounting. If he's not coming again, then that means we just drone on and on and on, and who knows if anything has any meaning, as we've seen in Ecclesiastes. Jesus is not even a player then. Well, but the Bible knows nothing of that. God's word makes it crystal clear that Jesus, who has been given dominion over all things, will come again. This morning I call you to renew your faith. I call you to believe what Jesus has said, though it flies in the face of the thinking around you, though it remains incomprehensible to you yourself, to take God at his word, Jesus, is coming again. Now, now there are endless implications of that truth, but James zeroes in on just one that we're going to talk about for the rest of our time this morning. Just one implication. Jesus is coming again, so be patient. Be patient. The world may be a maddening place, But you be patient, because you know who's in control. And you've read the last chapter. You know how it's all going to end. Persevere. Hang in there. Stand firm. Don't waver until the end when Jesus comes in victory. Now, James could have just left it that way, and we could just close our Bibles and go home. A call to patience in light of the coming of Jesus. But by now, you who have been with us through our our study of the book of James must know that James is never going to leave it so general. He's going to get more specific. And so he does. In these verses, he gives us three down-to-earth illustrations, examples, of what exactly that patience looks like that he's calling us to. The first of those is this, be patient like a farmer. Be patient like a farmer. Things take time. You see that there in verse 7 and 8? Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. I've learned a little bit about farming since moving to a farming community. I've learned that it's a lot different than most people in the city think. It's interesting now as I see city people doing gardening, and I realize how different that is than what I see around me, where I live now. In the city, if you're having a garden, uh, it probably involves you going and buying a lot of things, because you throw money at things, that's how you fix things in the city. So you have to buy a lot of equipment. And in a flurry of activity, you go out and till up the ground and plant your tomatoes. I say tomatoes because that's what we always planted in the city. And the next day you come out to see if you have tomatoes yet. And of course you don't. And so you keep looking for a week or so, and then finally, because obviously you're not going to have any tomatoes, you lose interest and you go play golf instead. Now that's a little exaggeration, but you know what I mean. Any farmer knows that things take time, you wait until the soil gets warm enough to plant the seed. First year I was here, I planted my garden about February when it got real nice and warm. (laughs) The seed all rotted, and I got to do it again come May or June. The seed has to germinate. It has to rain. The weeds have to grow. They have to be pulled out. It has to rain some more. Eventually, a little fruit appears. The sun has to shine. It has to rain some more. We do the rain part pretty well here, actually. (laughs) The fruit has to grow. It has to ripen. And somewhere months and months later, at the right time, after a lot of waiting, after a lot of patience, the harvest comes. And when it does, all the profit comes at once. People in the city don't understand this. You don't get paid by the hour for your labor on the farm. You get paid at the end when the profit comes. Now, my dear brothers and sisters, I know that you don't see much progress in the things that trouble you, and the things that are growing in your life, I know that raising your children seems like it will last for a lifetime, I know that it seems like your spouse will never change, I know that the problems you struggle with inside seem to never go away, but I call you to the patience of the farmer, a patience that works every day doing the things that need to be done, that perseveres in diligence, continually doing the right stuff, paying attention to the details, with the certain conviction that when the time is right, the harvest will come. There will be results. Oh, you can't even imagine a farmer who goes and plants the field, gets it all cultivated and plants and takes care of it, And the waters and the weeds and then sometime in August gives up and quits. And yet that's what Christians do all the time. Oh, I call you to be patient, to hang in there, to never give up, to never quit, to never walk away always confident that Jesus who rose and ascended into heaven holds the reins in his hand, and the harvest day is coming when he comes again. Be patient. Be patient. Jesus will come. Secondly, James says, be patient like the prophets. Be patient like the prophets. We knew that sometimes things didn't seem to work right. That's the point of verse 10 and 11. Brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. Every week I get uh, bombarded with mailings and articles and announcements of seminars and books about how to be successful in the ministry. Phenomenal growth, fruitful ministry, bigger and better, guaranteed. Guaranteed. And then I read the prophets. Now either they didn't get the word about how to be successful in the ministry, or God's version of success is different than the books and seminars. For by and large, the prophets were not popular and what we would call successful. Oh, they were right, but their message was unacceptable and they often suffered greatly for their faithfulness. I think of some examples. Think of Jeremiah. Jeremiah was considered a traitor to his beloved nation because his message was not in tune with the politically correct rhetoric of the day. So they put him in stocks and they beat him. They burned his writings. They threw him down a well to rot. They threw him in prison. Why? What did he do? God's man. Faithfully speaking, God's truth. That's all. Think of of Isaiah. Isaiah was told at the very beginning of his ministry when God called him that people are not going to listen to you. they would be hardened against his message. Is it possible, folks, that Isaiah never asked the question, well then, why even bother? He must have asked. And yet, he patiently persevered, faithfully proclaiming some of the most awesome messages of hope of the coming Savior that they didn't understand, but that we now see. Or think of Daniel. Daniel was carried off as a slave to a foreign land when he was a young man, perhaps a teenager or in his early 20s. And from the beginning, he said, I will be faithful here. I will keep covenant with my God here. And he did. Through many scary situations, through all kinds of crises, he walked faithfully, patiently with his God. For how long? Well, you all know about that Daniel being thrown into the lion's den. The day came that they passed a the law that said it's against the law to pray to anyone but the king. Daniel, as always, Faithfully did what God said anyway, and they threw him in the lion's den. Do you know that Daniel was like 80 or 90 years old? For 60 or 70 years, patiently, patiently faithful. For a whole lifetime, in a foreign land, never got to go home, patiently, faithful, confident that God's purposes will not fail. Or think of the prophet Hosea. You think your marriage is bad. You want out? Think of Hosea. God called him to continue to love his wife even after she sold herself into prostitution. And Hosea said, yes, sir, Lord. And faithfully, patiently endured And thus God was able to display to his people what his kind of faithful love looks like in the face of their apostasy. You see, we think of the prophets in romanticized terms. We've heard the Bible stories from childhood, and we just think that they're some kind of separate people who just automatically did these things. They were people just like us. James is going to make a point of that later in regard to Elijah. They were weak like we're weak. They wanted to be liked like we want to be liked. They disliked pain as much as you do. They got tired and discouraged too. They wanted to be accepted by their peers. Oh, but more than all of those things they were determined to be patiently faithful to their God, to do what he sent them to do, to say what he told them to say, no matter what, whether it seemed to succeed or seemed to fail. And in the same way our text says, you be patiently faithful. Jesus is coming sure you struggle they did too but as the book of Hebrews reminds us right after rehearsing for us all of their long faithfulness it says in your struggle against sin you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood be patient like the prophets well thirdly third illustration that James gives us is the illustration of of Job. Be patient like Job. Be patient like Job. God has not forgotten when you suffer for no apparent reason. You see that there in the end of verse 11? You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. The very hardest times in life are times not just when we suffer, but when we suffer and we see absolutely no reason for what's happening. When things do not make any sense at all. When, try as we might, we cannot see any possible way that any good could come out of this. When all of our best advisors, our pastors, our counselors, have no answer for us. When it just seems obvious to everyone that God has turned against us, and we don't know why. When life itself has become a cruel joke. At those times, remember Job. Job did not understand the struggle he was in either. But he didn't have to understand it. It was enough for him to trust God and to wait for either God to vindicate him or to take his life, God's choice. There are few words in Scripture so powerful as Job's confession concerning his patient, enduring faith in his God. When out of the pits of despair, out of the terrible pain of suffering, he confesses, though he slay me, yet I will trust." Oh, I know you may not understand why God lets you go through things that you face either. Frankly, I don't know. But I would tell you, your situation is not yet as bad as Job's. Job lost his family, all his children, in one day. Was left only with his wife who turned against him he lost all his herds all his flocks all his wealth in one day he lost his health he lost his prestige in the community his good name he was maligned by his theological friends the spiritual giants of his day who had neat little answers to his trouble and he could hardly be bold in his response for he himself did not know what was going on now what if god put you in that place what will you do maybe you think you're in one of a place like that right now what will you do will you pa- be patiently faithful will you trust him Or we do what everyone else does. Wallow in self-pity. Poor me, I have it so bad. Nurse the bitterness. How can God let this happen? Surround yourself with people who tell you, you don't have to put up with this until you convince yourself that you're vindicated to cut and run and get out from under the struggling, no matter what it costs. Which? Faithful endurance? Self-pity? Bitterness? And quitting? Which? Well, before you answer, James wants you to look to the end. He says in verse 11, see how Job's situation turned out. Quote, you have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. But do you remember the outcome of Job's story? God restored to him everything he had taken and way more. For God was on his side all the time. It only appeared that God was no longer merciful. And in the same way, whatever your situation this morning, I call you to look to the end. To look to the day when Jesus returns. On that day it will make sense. It will be a terrible day of judgment for those who have denied him when the pressure was on and have turned away, but it will be a day, a blessed day of deliverance and vindication for those who were faithful to them. He will say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Come and share your master's joy. In your time of trial, be patient like Job. Don't lose sight of the mercy and compassion of the Lord. He will sustain you. Trust Him. Persevere to the very end. Oh, this calls to my mind some of the words of one of my very favorite Keith Green songs that I've shared with you before, but I have to share it again. My child, my child. Why are you weeping? You will not have to wait forever. That day and that hour is in my keeping. The day I will bring you into heaven. My precious bride, the day is nearing when I'll take you in my arms and hold you. I know there are many things that you've been hearing, but you just. Hold on to what I've told you. For when I hear the praises start, my bride, I want to rain upon you blessings that will fill your heart. Oh, I see no stain upon you, because you are my child, and you know me. To me, you're only holy. Nothing that you've you've done will remain. Only what you do in me. Oh, here's a great truth. Be patient. For Jesus is coming again. If Jesus is not coming, then this is just passive defeatism. And that's exactly what we're accused of sometimes. Pie in the sky, by and by kind of religion. Oh, but if he is indeed coming, as he most certainly is, here is true freedom, folks. I don't have to have everything set straight today. He will set it straight in his good time. I don't have to have everything perfect to be faithful in my little part. I don't have to avoid trouble and pain at, every, at any cost. There are worse things than trouble. I don't have to be successful or prosperous or popular. No, I only have to be faithful. I don't have to have a perfect situation, a perfect spouse, a perfect home, perfect children. No, his grace is enough to make even the most impossible situations worthwhile. No, I don't have to have a thing. For I rest my case in the hands of my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. I trust him to make things right in due time. Today, I will be patiently faithful until then. The late Ray Steadman told a wonderful story in his book, Talking to My Father which I want to read to you, and with that I'll close. A missionary couple had been working in Africa for years and were returning to New York City to retire. They had no pension, their health was broken, they were defeated, discouraged, and afraid. They discovered that they were booked on the same ship as President Teddy Roosevelt. Who was returning from one of his big game hunting expeditions. No one paid any attention to them. They watched the fanfare that accompanied the president's entourage with passengers vying to catch a glimpse of the great man. As the ship moved across the ocean, the old missionary said to his wife, something is wrong. Why should we have given our lives in faithful service to God in Africa all these many years and have no one care about us? And here this man comes back from a hunting expedition. And everyone is making much of him. While they give, don't give two hoots about us. Well, dear, you shouldn't feel that way, his wife said. I can't help it. It doesn't seem right. When ship docked in New York, a band was waiting to greet the president. The mayor and other dignitaries were there. The papers were filled with the president's arrival. And no one even noticed the missionary couple. They slipped off the ship, found a cheap flat on the east side, hoping the next day to see what they could do to make a living. That night, the man's spirit broke. He said to his wife, I can't take this anymore. God is not treating us fairly. I can't take it. And his wise wife said, why don't you go into the bedroom and tell that to the Lord. (laughs) A short time later, he came out from the bedroom, his face now completely different, and his wife asked, dear, what happened? He said, well, the Lord settled it with me. I told him how bitter I was that the president should receive this tremendous homecoming when no one met us when we returned. when I finished the Lord called to my mind the truth of his word but you're not home yet be patient till Jesus comes to take you home amen oh father thank you for this glorious truth Lord, we so easily forget it, for it's not something we can see with our eyes, and it's not something that we hear reported on the news. It's not something that we ever encounter unless we talk about it and read it in your word. And yet, Lord, thank you for the great comfort that the world does not fly out of control, but it is exactly on schedule for what you are doing, that you hold the reins firmly, and that when the time for harvest comes, when the day of accounting is right, that you will come. And that will be a wonderful homecoming for your people. Lord, may we hear the truth of this text, this call to patience, to faithful endurance to the end. Oh, Lord, I pray for those who this very day, this very morning, toy in the back of their minds with the prospect of quitting, of caving in to the pressure, of turning their backs and walking away. Oh, Lord, strengthen us in the inner person. Give us patience that only you can produce in us. Give us a long view of things to see eternal values in the midst of this temporal world. Give us strength to endure to the end and be saved. We pray in the strong name of Jesus, our Savior and Lord. Amen.